0: Thank you. potential and possibility discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome everybody again to another episode of our show, bringing you another fascinating guest who is helping to create a better tomorrow on many different fronts. Uh, We have the honor of today being joined uh, by Ambassador Dr. Roman Makaya-Hayes, who is a Costa Rican scientist, entrepreneur, diplomat, and public servant. Uh, He most recently served as the chairman of the board of the Costa Rican Social Security organization, CCSS, uh, the institute that financed and provided universal coverage of public health care services in Costa Rica, as well as manages uh, their largest pension fund of the country. In that role, he led the the healthcare delivery response to COVID-19, as well as spearheaded key priority programs, including the deployment of the largest investment in both physical and technological infrastructure in their history, uh, promoting vast programs of innovation throughout the Institute, implementing digital transformation agenda, uh, and ultimately revamping both the healthcare delivery and pension system to respond to uh, the increasingly aging population, a very important topic. Uh, prior to leading the CCSS, uh, Dr. Makaya also uh, served his role as Costa Rica's ambassador to the United States. He held that post from 2014 through 2018. Uh, and, and in the role uh, of his ambassadorship, Dr. Makaya promoted science diplomacy between countries in the areas of biomedical research, space, water, biodiversity, and technology. Uh, Ultimately, uh, was involved as well in strengthening cooperation and security, migratory matters, environmental conservation, and the arts. Uh, Worked closely with uh, the White House, Department of State, and the Department of Homeland Security here to to strengthen Costa Rica's capability in in drug interdiction, uh, as well as uh, uh, various other initiatives. Douglas MacKay, in addition to, to these roles, has held uh, various leadership positions uh, in both the healthcare and agricultural industries. Uh, he served as a biomedical scientist in the biotech industry, uh, as a businessman, entrepreneur in clinical research, private equity, and healthcare consulting. Uh, and in the field of uh, agri-tech, he uh, served on uh, the Board of Directors of Costa Rica's National Chamber of Agriculture and Agroindustry, industry led a major crop protection company, presided over uh, national, Latin American, and global industries. Industry organizations engaged with governments and multilateral institutes such as the World Trade Organization, WHO, and the Food and Agriculture Organization in Rome. Uh, Dr. Makaya holds uh, his MBA in healthcare management from the prestigious Wharton School here at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Uh, his uh, bachelor's degree was in chemistry from Middlebury College, and he did his PhD uh, in biochemistry from UCLA. We are honored to have him with us today. Uh, Ambassador Dr. Rahman, Makaya Hayes, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to come. Talk to us for a while.
1: Thank you very much, Shaira, for that uh, very uh, generous introduction. And it's a pleasure to be on on your program uh, for another interview. Um, I, I appreciate the invitation.
0: It, it's really great to have you, you have an amazing and lengthy background. Uh, and, and I would love to start off as we typically do by, by handing you the floor for a little bit, just so we can learn a, a little bit more about you and your background. If you could take us to sort of, into the early days from everything from where you grew up, uh, when you developed some of these interests, uh, not just sort of early interest in science, but in, in getting into areas like I was looking at your papers, uh, researching oligonucleotide thrombin inhibitors, uh, what got you interested in cop protection. And, and you talk a little bit about your days here in Philadelphia at the Wharton School. That'll be kind of cool too.
1: <laughs> sure. Well, um... I uh, grew up in a in a bicultural household. My my mother is Bostonian. My father is Costa Rican. Uh, I grew up in Costa Rica. Um, went to school through high school in Costa Rica, and um, and I knew very on as a as a child that I liked the sciences. You know, I was I was, I was a little bit of a nerd and uh, really loved science fiction and and you know a- anything to do with science and. Um, when I graduated from high school, um, and you know, was looking at colleges, and you know, ended up at Middlebury College in Vermont, which was quite a change from tropical Costa Rica going to the the cold, long winters of Vermont. Um, but it was uh, it was the right place for me, um, and I was able to develop that or continue developing that passion for the sciences. Um, I, I should say in the early. Early uh, days of my college career, freshman and, and sophomore year, I still didn't know which science, so I was taking actually the requirements for majors in physics, math, biology, and chemistry, because I still hadn't narrowed it down to one. And by the end of my sophomore year, I said, "I'm going to kill myself if I don't choose one and, and narrow down the the, uh, the course <laughs> requirements." But um, so I ended up studying chemistry, and uh, my dad is a chemical engineer, so he certainly had a role in in uh, cultivating that interest for the for the you know the physical sciences, and uh, when I graduated from Middlebury, uh, decided that I you know I wanted to continue in the sciences and and you know dive deeper. At that time, the 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 whole area of biotechnology was really exploding. And uh, so that's the field I wanted to get into. It was very exciting and uh, ended up uh, going to UCLA for a, for a doctorate in biochemistry. And, uh, you know, things sort of evolved after that. I, I was hired out of grad school to run the a structural chemistry lab at a startup in, in New Jersey that at the time was called Pharmagenics. It was later acquired uh, by Genzyme in, in Boston. And uh, But I was getting sort of to at the point where i was i wanted to see the the broader impact in healthcare you know how can we move the needle in healthcare not just with therapeutic interventions but policy as well and that's when i decided that i would go to uh broaden my horizon uh attended the wharton school uh with for an mba in in healthcare management specifically in health systems management and uh, loved it, I, I loved my two years in Philadelphia. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great city, not too big, not too small and a, a great group of classmates at, at the Wharton School. So I, I have very fond memories of, of those years. And after that, I, I returned to Costa Rica. So I had been in the US for 14 years and, um, you know, studied, you know, I had studied healthcare, I'd been involved in research. So the, my first job was running clinical trials in Costa Rica. Okay. And then I got into healthcare investing, and then healthcare consulting and agribusiness. And and later, these, you know, two, uh, two positions in public service, which are very different from each other. One is ambassador of Costa Rica to the United States. And uh, we can talk about those. And And the second one, uh, uh, as as head of the the public institution that provides all public health care services which is the the costa rican social security organization and it's essentially it's a single payer single provider institution that has a, a very important role in costa rica and i had the honor of serving costa rica in both of these roles as ambassador uh, with one of our most important uh, strategic partners on the international scene, the United States, um, and where I was serving as a, as an interface between two countries that I love, you know, I'm, I I at the time right before that I was a dual citizen. I I was half, you know, well, fully American and fully Costa Rican, um, but I had to renounce my U.S. citizenship in mm. order to serve. As ambassador of Costa Rica to the United States, and that was that was a tough decision, but um, it was one that I figured I I had to do if I if I wanted to serve in that role. And um, you know, in the second role, which was uh, very important to begin with, but became even more important as uh, as the pandemic hit, because uh, the institution that I led was responsible for the healthcare response in caring for all these uh, patients that were, uh, you know, affected by the pandemic Mm -hmm. and those that we normally have to care for anyway, even without a pandemic. So it's been a very uh, varied and multidisciplinary career, but, um, you know, I throw that out there and dive into any part you want to uh, talk about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate that intro. And I, I'd like to dive into all of that. And I think, you know, a really exciting, you know, thinking of the path now and your, 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 your days in industry, uh, you're in agritech, you're in healthcare, you're in healthcare systems, um, you, you enter your ambassadorship. Um, and I came across this, this really interesting material from I think it was a 2017 American Association of the Advancement of science and there is a plenary session that you were attending on uh, science diplomacy uh, science technology and innovation for the sustainable development goals and it basically talked about you know you uh, you, you were talking about uh, how in the embassy uh, at the time is 2017, Uh, There's strong emphasis, very important, science diplomacy. We need to discuss science and technology-related things every day. That can be related to fishing. It can be related to Zika virus at the time, natural disasters, whatever may be on the table. Uh, We need to discuss at least once a day. Uh, And we need to engage the scientific community, both locally, globally. Uh, You set up scientific open houses while you're the ambassador. You signed uh, memorandums of understanding with with universities like University of Pennsylvania Medical School. Talk a little bit about what science diplomacy is all about and why it was so important in your ambassadorship.
1: Well, um, when I first arrived in, in, uh, in Washington as ambassador, my first question is, you know, here I am, an ambassador with a scientific background. What can I do to uh, use those... That, that background to further diplomacy and that was science diplomacy basically combining diplomacy and science to promote scientific collaboration and technical collaboration in a number of areas and it turned out to be a very productive uh sort of lane of work in our in our embassy and um we ended up positioning the embassy in a very strategic role within the the community of embassies in Washington, um, as an embassy that had really prioritized science diplomacy. And as you mentioned, some of the cases, you know, we we signed agreements with uh, or memorandums with uh, the University of Pennsylvania, and we we set up collaborations with different universities, different. Uh, institutions across the, the scientific enterprise of the United States to uh, collaborate with the scientific community in Costa Rica in a number of areas in space. You know, one of my my um, first uh, roles in science diplomacy, I, I, I was at the embassy and I, I received this email by a, a very famous Costa Rican astronaut, Franklin Chang. And he's a, he's a dual national, he's Costa Rican and American. And he has, he's a co-holder of the uh, world record on the number of times into space. So he's gone into space on seven shuttle missions.
0: Nice.
1: And um, you know, he has studied at MIT where his thesis was developing this plasma-based rocket. And um, and he, he, he developed this technology over about 25 years uh, of his career at NASA as an astronaut, but also as a scientist. And then he, he negotiated with NASA an agreement to turn that into a company. And it's a, today it's a private company called Ad Astra. He, he sent me an email and said, look, I, I need to give an update to the, uh, the uh, Office of Management and, and Budget or the, the MBO sure. office of in, at the White House. On a state of the technology of this plasma rocket. And uh, he hasn't had an answer from the White House. And, you know, is there any way that I might be able to help? So I sent an email uh, to the White House and got an answer right away, the same day. A couple hours later, you will we'll receive him on such and such a date. So I answered him back, you know, they will receive you at the White House on such and such a date. And uh, he said, wow. And that was quick, and uh, so so he came up, and and we all went to the White House uh, to give this state of the art or state of the technology update on this rocket. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. Um, this is uh, an area where we can collaborate in scientific fields because this this company, which is based in Houston, has a subsidiary in Costa Rica. Okay and uh and and do something that's useful and productive for both countries so that was sort of my first my kickoff of uh in science diplomacy at the embassy and we did many things in the biomedical science area um one was with george mason Mm -hmm. the zika virus was the big viral threat that was coming up the americas at that time and uh george mason had this large um, biocontainment lab, this facility that was equipped to be able to work with live viruses, live pathogens that were very dangerous. And so we arranged a visit of a team uh, from George Mason and uh, along came the director of this big lab. His name is Charles, uh, Charles ba- uh, Bailey. And uh set up a a, a collaboration, and we're ready to sort of start working on this, but then the virus kind of petered out. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, relationships that are established can work and help later on. And when in my new role as president of of the healthcare system of Costa Rica, once the pandemic hit, we had the opportunity of thinking about new therapies for this virus. And um, there's an institution at the University of Costa Rica that works on developing anti-venom products Mm -hmm. for snake bites. And they're made from horse antibodies. So we had the idea, well, what if we develop horse antibodies against SARS-CoV-2 virus? And... uh, You know, this was started and in record time, these antibodies were prepared, purified, and ready to go, ready for testing. But we needed to test them against a live virus in the lab first to see what was the potency in neutralizing this virus. So all it took was a phone call back to George Mason. And within, you know, a couple of weeks, we had the answer of what was the potency of these antibodies in neutralizing this new viral threat. And today those uh, antibodies are in clinical trials mm-hmm. against, uh, against COVID. So it goes to show you that some relationships that are established perhaps in, in one area or one field can then carry on to other areas that are unexpected at the time. But uh, the, the important thing was getting the relationship in place in order to, to be able to kickstart a new project that can have uh, an even more important impact um, than what we were envisioning when we were talking about the Zika virus.
0: The, um, the, the, part of, you know, the part about the, the CCSS and, and the involvement per the equine antibodies is just a, a fascinating innovation story on uh, in its own right. Um, you know What we, we think of, uh, Social Security, of course, in, in the United States, okay, and it has sort of one meaning, but uh, the CCSS, as you were explaining in the intro, you do quite a bit more uh, in terms of, you know, you not just have the um, the, the various clinics and hospitals, but uh, involved in all sorts of preventative and uh, therapeutic programs, vaccination, fumigation, surgery, uh, pharmacy, clinical development, Um Talk a little bit about this further. And then, of course, a key component of this, as you were just mentioning, with the equine antibody work, innovation. Um, and this is sort you know, once again, I think Social Security, we don't think too much about innovation for the United States per se. But talk about how uh, other examples, if you could, like the equine uh, antibodies, how you weave innovation into the CCSS mission.
1: Yes, that's a, a great question. First, uh, to put it in context, yes, Social Security in the U.S. context is usually thought of as pensions. Okay, right. this is my retirement pension um, through the government-run Social Security program. In Costa Rica, Social Security entails not just pensions, which it does entail, but it's not limited to that, but also health care. So um, in Costa Rica everyone has a constitutional right to life. That's in the constitution. Our Supreme Court in Costa Rica has interpreted that as if you have a constitutional right to life, you therefore must have a constitutional right to health. And if you have a constitutional right to health, someone has to provide healthcare to materialize that constitutional right to health. And so the entity that guarantees that constitutional right to health care is the CAHA, our social security institution that owns finances and operates all public hospitals, clinics, physician networks, um, all the workforce in the public healthcare system, which is about 63,000 people, and all procurement of drugs and you know, medical devices and anything that's required in the healthcare system. So it's a, it's a very important institution because it fulfills a constitutional mandate. It has a budget of about $8.5 billion a year, which is about 13% of our GDP. That's for, for both pensions and healthcare. And, uh, and, and as I mentioned, uh, has 63,000 plus workers uh, working in the, in the institution. So it's a very large institution with a big budget and a huge mandate. Now, if you look at the mission of the CAHA, which we call it in short, it's the CAHA. Sure. One of the uh, elements of the mission is to promote research in the, in the, in the health sciences. Now, even though that's in the mission, that had not necessarily been done in the past. And so one of the things that we tried to promote over the last four years of, of my um, mandate in the CAHA was precisely that. How do we promote biomedical research within the institution to fulfill the mission that's stated in its, in its charter? And so we, we put in place and approved a, a uh, regulation for the implementation of clinical research within the institution. Uh, the board of directors approved a policy to promote innovation and research within the institution. We also got the board to approve a policy for the use of biomedical data because all of our hospitals and clinics are connected through an electronic record system. So there's a lot of health data that's available in the system and we need to strike the right balance between protecting the individual rights to privacy of biomedical data, but also um, find ways of using that data responsibly, for furthering uh, science and, and, the, and the application of healthcare to our citizens. So we did that. And when the pandemic hit us, this accelerated everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are very few good things about a pandemic. But one good thing out of this pandemic was changing the culture around biomedical research in a public institution that was not known to be heavily involved in biomedical research. you know, Very early on, we needed to know what worked, whether it was convalescent plasma, whether hydroxychloroquine or new therapies like the one you know, that we're co-developing on these horse antibodies against uh, COVID. Um, we need to know if these you know, had evidence that they would be effective. And so clinical trials were implemented in record time within the system. This is something that probably would not have been possible to implement so quickly without the pressure of a pandemic on top of us. Mm-hmm. And so it, it helped to, to change the culture within the institution. And now there are trials that are ongoing and studies that are ongoing that are not COVID related. Um, the institution has declared certain types of, of biomedical studies as studies of, of, of institutional interest. And this uh, helps us to accelerate their implementation and to provide resources so that they are implemented. So I would say that, um, you know, that's one of the very few good things that have come out of this pandemic is a change of culture to appreciate the value of science and biomedical research within the public healthcare system of Costa Rica.
0: One of the uh, areas that I know was very important to you in your leadership of CCSS was uh, the area of population aging. And you know, I um, I had the honor of for a couple of years of, of being on this World Economic Forum Human Enhancement Council with uh, Ambassador Alurca. Uh, uh, came after you in the in the embassy but uh you know this theme of a health span uh was was so extremely important in, in these discussions about you know if, if we spend so much money uh during those the, those last years of life and sort of the morbidity that creeps in and if we can shrink that just a little bit uh you know the numbers are unfathomable about what they could yield to the, the global health care system Costa Rica, I, mean, I, you know, I look at the UN list, you know it's up there in terms of life expectancy, you know, well above the United States. Uh, we know you for the blue zones and, and, and all that. Talk about this theme, if you would, a little bit more of, of your own interest in population aging, but also as Costa Rica's development of this, I'll call it sort of technological hotspot for things that are happening in the uh, health span improvement world.
1: Yes, no. That's a it's a fascinating topic. Um, as you mentioned, Costa Rica has a blue zone. There's only five identified blue zones in the world: one in Greece, one in Japan, one in Italy, one in California, and one in Costa Rica. These are zones where a large or a disproportionate um, percentage of the population lives exceptionally long lives. You know, often surpassing the century mark. Yeah. And, and, and many of them live relatively healthily well into their late years. Yep. And, and that's very unusual. So, so why is this happening? Well, you know, in Costa Rica, you, you mentioned that our life expectancy is, is up there with the developed world. You know, Costa Rica is a middle income country, but we have first world you know, developed OECD standard yep. life expectancy indices um so that's unusual to begin with but what's even more unusual is that as people age anywhere in the world you you end up pushing out your life expectancy your future life expectancy so if at you know for example in today in costa rica for a newborn today their average life expectancy at birth is is over 80 now that doesn't mean that when you're 79, your average life future life expectancy is a little over one year. No, because you keep pushing it out because you end up in new averages as you, as you age. That's a, that's, that happens anywhere in the planet. What's unusual about Costa Rica is that effect is very pronounced to the point where the cohort of 90 year olds in Costa Rica, has among the longest life expectancies in the world. So we don't have the longest life expectancy at birth, but as we age, we push out that life expectancy faster than any other country on the planet. Mm-hmm. So a 90-year-old in Costa Rica uh, outlives, on average, a 90-year-old in Japan. And the, the what makes it even more interesting is that the 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 group that contributes most to this average life expectancy is the men. Mm-hmm. Women tend to outlive men anywhere in the world, and, and, and that's also true in Costa Rica. But we get closer as we age to the point where that 9 year old woman in Costa Rica, on average, will live about the same as a 9 year old woman in Japan, but a 9 year old male in Costa Rica will outlive the Japanese 90 year old male. Uh, and I use Japan as the example because of the exceptional life expectancy that you find in Japan. And no one knows why this is the case. You know, what is special about Costa Rica that pushes out our life expectancy faster as we age than in other countries of the world? So. Um, early on in my, in my uh, last job as, as executive president of, of the CAHA, I was asked by the uh, National Academy of Medicine uh, that's led by Dr. Victor Zell yep. to be on the oversight committee of a, of a uh, group that was being put together to study healthy longevity mm-hmm. or you know that lifespan. How can we promote policies that will keep us healthier later in life. Because if we can compress the aging effect uh, morbidity uh, into fewer and fewer years in our late lives, um, that will help a lot to, first of all, live better lives, but also in, in the sustainability of our system. Our social security system, as I mentioned, that deals with pensions and healthcare is impacted very strongly by aging. Because as people age, of course, there's going to be more people that require a pension, but on the healthcare side, they're going to be utilizing our healthcare system much more intensely or intensively than they do when they're younger. And I'll give you an example. Looking at our data within our healthcare system, the the cohort of people that are 65 or older uses on a per capita basis, 13 and a half times more hospital days than the cohort between 20 and 40 years of age. So our population doesn't have to grow much in order to, um, to impact our healthcare system. All it has to do is is age. So the people that are walking around on the street today that have already been born, they're guaranteed to age and they are guaranteed to provide that huge demand of healthcare services in the coming decades to the point where our healthcare system and our, our, our institution is now Uh, a little over 80 years of of age. So it was created in 1941 and it was very relevant for the development of Costa Rica over those 80 years. Mm -hmm. But the next 80 years are gonna be even more relevant for our institution in caring for our Costa Rican population than what the first 80 years um, provided. Because of that increase in demand for both pensions and healthcare. So sustainability is a big issue. And also, of course, quality of life of our elderly. So all of these things come into play. And that's why aging is such an important issue in our system.
0: Yeah, you you mentioned sustainability, and, and it gets me now thinking to this 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 broader picture now because uh, biomedical sciences you know that it's going to play an important part in, in what you were just discussing. Uh, but as you say, there's there's a lot more around the person. Uh, Costa Rica, you know, you have you know you have the the green uh, economy. You, know, you have a tremendous amount of terrestrial biodiversity, not just your agribusiness, but uh, in nature you have the blue economy, you know, your ocean, two major oceans on both sides. Uh, had the honor, once again, of, of having Minister uh, Vega Castillo uh, on the show last year, Costa Rica's Minister of uh, Science, Technology, and Telecommunications, introducing us to this concept of the national bioeconomy. Uh, talk a little bit, if you would, about your own visions coming from the perspective, you know, she was an expert in micro-robotics. Here I have a, a bioscientist in front of me. Talk a little bit about your thoughts on the national Costa Rican bioeconomy plans, if you would.
1: Yes, well, um, Costa Rica's economy has has become much more diverse in the portfolio of of products and services that are exported out of Costa Rica. So if you go back 40 years, Costa Rica exported primarily four agricultural commodities, essentially bananas, coffee, cocoa, and and maybe beef. um, And that was it. Today, Costa Rica exports thousands of different products and, and very high-value services to the point where, in terms of pro- physical products, Costa Rica's number one export today is medical devices, anything from heart valves to yeah. you know, all kinds of devices that are implanted or used on, on in human health. And as far as services our number one export is shared corporate services. There's a lot of companies that set up shared service operations Mm -hmm. that essentially provide service to the global operation of these companies. Now, because of the strengths in education and healthcare of Costa Rica, and, and this is being, this manifests itself in several ways. One is, you know, the fact that we're a, a big exporter of medical devices. Second, medical tourism has yep. become uh, a, a big a part of our offering in, in healthcare. A lot of tourists come to Costa Rica for a medical procedure. Yep. And, um, and so... The next step is how do we cultivate a bioeconomy? How do we cultivate R and D so that we're not just producing the latest technologies, but we're developing and innovating these new technologies. And so, you know, a question could be, you know, can a city like Boston or, you know, Silicon Valley be replicated if there, if it has the right policies? Well, Costa Rica has a, uh, 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 an offering of universities that are of very high quality, very high um, academic uh, value uh, to, to, to bring into this ecosystem. We have experienced uh, business leaders and uh, an ex- uh, a successful experience in entering certain sectors like medical devices and become a very important hub for the, the medical device industry and some of them are starting to develop their 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 products and services within Costa Rica. So how can we promote this? And and that's where a new initiative that's ongoing right now, which is the the Life Centered Hub in Costa Rica, where we want to promote life sciences in Costa Rica. That means biotech, medical devices, uh, M- mining of, of uh, biomedical data, clinical trials, uh, and all of this. And, and biodiversity comes into play here. You, know, okay. you mentioned Costa Rica is a very biodiverse country. What people don't necessarily realize is that it's the most biodiverse country in the world on a square mile basis. In okay. other words, in Costa Rica, you find more species of, of living organisms per square mile than anywhere else in the world. And Costa Rica today has been um, a leader in what they call DNA barcoding. And this is uh, largely the result of a, of a, a couple, uh, Dr. Dan Jansen and his wife, Winnie Halwax, Dr. Mm. Winnie Halwax, both are professors at the University of Pennsylvania. And uh, they have been studying Costa Rica's biodiversity for many decades. Hmm. Well, there are so many species in our wilderness that there's no way we'll we'll be able to identify all of these species through the normal taxonomic process, which usually entails a taxonomist, which is a rare species in in itself. You know, looking into a microscope and seeing if a fly or a butterfly or a certain plant or certain fungi are a unique species or not. Well, along came this way of looking at a specific gene that is shared across many, many thousands or millions of species. It's highly conserved, but it's not entirely conserved. So it's always a little different depending on the species. And, uh... Dr. Jansen and Dr. Hallwachs were one of the early adopters of this technology that was developed in Canada by um, uh, Peter Herbert uh, from the University of Guelph in, okay. in Canada on using this technology to, to DNA, literally DNA barcode mm-hmm. species so that we can determine whether we're looking at a new species or not when, when these species or specimens are collected. Well, Costa Rica today, because of this effort, is the number one DNA barcoded country in the world. It has more (laughs) species that have been identified through DNA barcoding than any other country. And it was because of this early adoption by these two scientists from the University of Pennsylvania, but that spend half of their life in Costa Rica. Literally, they spend about six months out of the year in Costa Rica and six months in in the U.S. teaching at, at Penn. So um, a lot of interesting things are happening once you start to dig below the, the cover and, and see, you know, okay, so what do we do with this biodiversity? Well, this biodiversity, it can be, you know, the source of new industrial enzymes and new therapies, new drugs uh, for diseases that don't have a cure yet. Um, so all of this comes into play. In, in this effort to promote a life science centered hub in Costa Rica. And we've gotten the CAJA, our social security institution involved because the CAJA is sort of the, would be the whale in the fish tank. You know, mm-hmm. if we have access to so many patients, which is essentially the whole country and, uh, and we can also conduct biomedical research Uh, that's certainly going to go a long way to creating critical mass for this effort.
0: Absolutely. And I, I think it's just such an elegant uh you know i I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of of phytochemistry and natural products and you know the long history of it in, in building up the the pharmaceutical industry that we have today uh, and I think you know we've we've taken our eye off the ball with that one to so see it coming back not just from the perspective of bioprospecting but doing it with these twenty first century tools uh avoiding biopiracy and all that other stuff that exactly. uh, came along with the the past versions of it is just it's so elegant and i i i'm I'm so excited about the hearing about that specific program well, you know as
1: as 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 uh if you look at the history of the pharmaceutical industry, most drugs come from natural products, yeah, yeah. they're either directly the natural product or they're synthetic analogues of the natural product yeah. and uh, yes, Costa Rica is a signatory of the Rio convention, so yeah. you know we we aim to avoid biopiracy and uh and you know to have. Uh, benefits of products that are developed sustainably from our biodiversity come back to the country, so mm-hmm. that there is a sort of a full circle of of benefits. And so there there is a potential of of doing a lot with this, but we've got to get the you know the right players in place with the right uh, philosophy. And uh, and I think it's you know we've done it in the past with uh, InBio. InBio is the National sure. Biodiversity Institute that yeah. signed deals with. You know, the first one was, was with Merck, yep. the pharmaceutical company. And then after that signed many agreements with uh, pharmaceutical companies that that entered into these benefit sharing agreements where if a drug was developed, that part of the royalties of that would go back to Costa Rica and to, to be used to conserve that biodiversity that was the source of the drug to begin with. hmm and so that you know it was full circle conservation connected with healthcare, and then returning to conservation through through royalties.
0: Very exciting. So um, Roman, it, um, it seems that you had some fascinating visitors uh, to Costa Rica and the Caja in, in recent weeks uh, in the area of some very cutting edge uh, cancer work that uh, that you're starting the organization. Tell us a little bit about what's going on on the cancer front and who visited you uh, the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, well, that's a it's an interesting story. And it's something that dates back to uh, 2014. I was uh, I had just arrived in Washington. And we had some bad news in my in my on my wife's side of the family, her her mother, my mother in law was diagnosed with cancer. Hmm. And, um, and they they didn't give her, you know, a, a good prognosis. So the whole family was turmoil. We were very sensitive to what was happening in the field of cancer, what new therapies are available. You know, fortunately, and, and here we are 2022, my, my mother-in-law is very healthy and she, you know, she beat cancer, so okay. put that aside. But I, we were very uh, in tune for what was happening. And at the time, this 2014, there was a, a interview that I saw on TV, my wife shouted to me to come watch this interview. And uh, it was an interview with Dr. Carl June, where he was describing this new type of therapy called CAR T cell therapy mm-hmm. that had essentially rescued this young woman, a young girl, she was seven at the time. Her name was is Emily Whitehead. And uh, she was uh, fighting leukemia and was at the point where there wasn't much left that the current state of medicine had to offer. And uh, he had developed this new construct of this CAR-T cell therapy that would be produced at a lab in, in in Pennsylvania, at the University of Pennsylvania, and would be treated, this this young girl would be treated at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the treating physician was Dr. Stefan Grubb. Mm-hmm. And it was a tremendous success. You know, this girl is now 17 and cancer-free. Ten years later, so at the time, I thought this is something that we need to bring to Costa Rica somehow. And so we started visiting uh, the University of Pennsylvania um, and talking with uh, with uh, Carl June himself and his lab and his group. Also, Dr. Bruce Levine, who produces these cells at, at Penn, Dr. Glenn Galton, who was leading. Penn's uh, outreach globally, around the planet. And um, long story short, um, as my term as ambassador was coming to an end, we still weren't, we didn't have all the pieces in place for an agreement between Penn, CHOP, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the healthcare system of Costa Rica. But to my surprise, I was asked to run the healthcare system of Costa Rica, in the public side, mm-hmm. um, by the next president, and so we picked up where we had left off uh, on the diplomatic front, and now from with a more focused healthcare perspective, continued these discussions. And it was um, this event that you mentioned that took place a couple weeks ago. We had a visit, a very important visitor to Costa Rica, a first lady, Jill Biden. Dr. Jill Biden. She is leading the Cancer Moonshot, really that that has been relaunched by her husband, President Mm -hmm. uh, Joe Biden. And uh, she was in country and one of the events that she attended was a kickoff event to launch this research collaboration between the Costa Rican social security system, which includes our public healthcare system, the University of Pennsylvania, Mm-hmm. and the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So we'll be doing research in CAR T cell therapies and this will provide access to patients uh, that have cancer that could benefit from these types of therapies. So it's a very it was a very um, positive uh, visit by the first lady and the ambassador of the United States to Costa Rica, Dr. Cynthia Tellez, uh was also involved in mm-hmm. in in promoting this and uh and so it was a a real good story where Costa Rica a middle income country will be one of those few countries where patients will have access to developments that are coming out of the lab from lab to to bedside um to to treat cancers with CAR T cell therapy
0: really very exciting and an additional layer of exciting in the sense that uh, again Philadelphia connecting with Costa Rica and then this in the, this really cutting edge uh set of programs really really exciting work Bremen. what um you know Roman I, I introduced you at the beginning uh, and I listed scientist entrepreneur diplomat public servant what's next um any, any scoops you can give us while we have you? Uh, what's what's uh, hot on the, for the rest of 2022? Looking at 2023, anything else that you can mention that I haven't talked about? But please, uh, glad to give you the floor.
1: Well, I you know right now I, I would call uh, what I'm doing a sort of a sabbatical. Okay. Uh, it, you know, my last job was very intense. You know, yeah. being responsible for um, caring for. The, the population in the middle of a pandemic is is a very high intensity responsibility, and uh, you know I'm glad that the intensity of the pandemic, even though it's not over, is much lower than it used to be. Um, but um, my my um, uh, thought is to remain in you know in some way connected to healthcare, but but in innovation. With mm-hmm. with healthcare and the and the life sciences in general, so I, I want to keep a footprint in in the life sciences in in healthcare and in innovation. What that ends up being, whether it's you know biomedical research or uh, you know trying to uh, improve diagnostics or or outcomes for patients through um, you know the better use of, of healthcare information and so forth. I, I'm not sure, it's, it's a work in progress. It's something that I will be um, fine tuning over the coming months. Um, I don't um, discard possibly teaching, um, so we'll see. Um, but at the, at the moment, I'm, I'm enjoying having a, a few tons of bricks uh, taken off my shoulders in terms of responsibility. And getting a chance to really think hard about uh, what I want to do next, but I, I appreciate the question. Yeah, the the short answer is it's a work in progress.
0: Well, we'll we'll be you know looking forward to to seeing what's next, uh, you know, it's been, as I said, an, an amazing journey uh, and I just, you know, I'm gonna wish you the best with everything, whatever you decide to do, uh, you know, as we uh, enter the new year coming up, um, it's gonna be exciting uh, and you have such a, a potent engine, uh, let's say uh, there in Costa Rica for making so many things happen. So uh, really exciting um, for, for everybody that, Uh, is going to be uh, listening to this particular episode of our show uh, across the various podcast networks or watching on the YouTube channel. Again, you've been listening to scientist, entrepreneur, diplomat, public servant extraordinaire, Ambassador Dr. Oman, Makaya Hayes, doing really amazing things uh, with technology, with innovation, uh, with sustainability. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to come talk to us uh, for a little while today. Obviously, thank you for everything that you've been doing the last few decades. Uh, And as we like to say on this show, uh, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow for so many people via what you do. It's a really wonderful story. And, and best of luck with what you get to do, do and what you get into
1: well thank you very much Shira. It's, it's been a real pleasure to have this uh conversation and um to be able to to talk about um a lot of different topics that uh uh where i i can sense that yeah, you you have a, a strong interest in as well and so we have shared passion for certain areas Absolutely. And uh, you know, I, I uh, congratulate you for for uh, you know bringing uh, guests to your program and to talk about areas that uh, hopefully will be of interest to a lot of your uh, your audience.
0: They no doubt will. <laughs> All righty, be well, Roman. Good seeing you.
1: Thank you very much, and hello to to anyone who's who's watching this program.